Hello, everyone. You are listening to In the Weeds with Monica Jean, an agriculture podcast. joining us today. My name is Monica Jean. I'm an extension educator for Michigan State University and we are actually at my office today in uh, St. John's, the Clinton County office. Today uh, we're going to get in the weeds with Mark Seaman and Mike Staten are my two guests and we're discussing is corn still king or have soybeans really started to gain in popularity and acreage? But talking about soybeans and the history of it, um, maybe some key issues that have happened over the year, uh, what's made it gain in popularity, and what we think the future looks like for soybean production in Michigan. And so my guests today, Mike and Mark, do you mind uh, introducing yourselves? I'm Mark Seaman. I'm the research coordinator with the Michigan Soybean Promotion Committee. I'm Mike Staten, a soybean educator with MSU Extension. And my position's kind of cool because I'm jointly funded by MSU Extension and your Michigan Soybean Checkoff. Awesome. We're really happy to have you guys here. Thanks again for agreeing to do this. We're going to go ahead and get right in the weeds on this stuff. So what would you say is a, a good snap at the history of soybeans in Michigan? I think uh, Michigan has a really cool history of soybean production. We have uh, <clears throat> acreage that's really increased a lot over time. So if we look at acreage that uh, in the 1970s, we're transitioning a lot of acres from uh, more common crops like dry edible beans and maybe more hay in the state. So at that time, we were less than a million acres. To uh, more recent years, we've been over 2 million acres. So we've more than doubled in, those, in that period of time. The yield per acre has also increased. In the 1970s, we were, had an average yield of about 25 bushels or so. And we've, we've maxed out our, uh, our highest average yield in the state has been about a little over 50 bushels per acre, and that was in 2016. So we've about doubled the yield and doubled the acreage in that time period. Would you say that there's an agronomic reason for that? Like, what, would, what do you think is the main reason, both for the yield and for the production acres? I think there's a couple of things. I mean, um, there's been some market share access that's happened, but I think the other thing is soybeans are really... Uh, interesting crop. They're more challenging, I think, than corn is. Corn, uh, we have a system down to where our yields are just uh, phenomenal. We've done a great job with genetics, with uh, agronomics. Soybeans are just a, a mystery in many ways, and I think producers really enjoy that uh, that challenge, I think, that's, that's there. So do you feel like that's been the biggest change in agriculture for soybeans, or do you guys, because you've, you've both had some really awesome careers and you've been around playing in the dirt for a long time. <laughs> what, what would you say has influenced the production of soybeans the most? Well, Monica, that's a really nice way to say that you have a couple gray-haired guys in your office uh, today talking about soybeans. I have a couple gray hairs, don't <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. It's, it's great to say that we've had uh, good careers and have seen a lot of changes in the soybean industry over that time. I, I think some of the... Uh, the changes that we've seen are, are crop farms moving from really diverse, smaller crop farms to a lot larger size and maybe less diversity in crops. So 
uh, compared to 20 or 30 years ago when we had a lot of diversity, now we've got a lot of farms that grow just two crops, corn and soybeans, and have worked out that rotation to make that fit. So uh, that's one of the biggest things that I've seen over my time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think soybean producers recognize corn as being a, a valuable rotational crop. So yeah. um, we like to keep that in the rotation if we can. Uh, there's a couple of things that have changed. I think the consolidation is certainly one of them. I think uh, precision farming is just huge. Mm -hmm. What producers are able to do on their acreage, the amount of information that they're able to learn on their own farm with replicated trials, uh, there's just an amazing amount of information they can gain on their own farm with their own practices. I think that's been a big one. I think one of the biggest changes I've seen is tillage has really changed. Um, back in the 90s with the uh, advent of the uh, Roundup Ready soybeans, boy, we had tremendous amount of our acres were no-till soybeans. And I think that's changed. We have less uh, probably uh, no-till soybeans than what we've had. So is corn still king? Or are soybeans making a pretty go good go of it over there? <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool perception. So <laughs> a lot of growers get really excited about growing corn. Maybe there's just something really cool about seeing such a large crop and having such a high yields per acre and bushels. And those are all really cool things. But kind of interesting for me to think about. I think about it's really cool to say that I'm the king, but isn't it really the case that most of the queens will make the rules and run the system, right? So I'd I think, like to we're, think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think we're okay with being in that position. I, I think uh, in the past several years, soybeans have held a really close uh, profitability comparison to corn. So I don't, I don't think there's anything to apologize for with uh, our soybean crop in Michigan. Yeah, um, I know I have farmers that they say they really like the flexibility of the beans, how, how it leaves their field after they're done with that crop, really mellow, low residue, and they also liked um, the cost for production with it. So I would agree with that. So I, I want to talk a little bit, though, some key issues that our growers are facing in Michigan here and maybe what they could be facing now, but even things that are coming down the uh, pipeline. And I first would like to cover the agronomic area. So I think, uh, Mike, it's safe to say that might be something you want to touch on. Sure, Monica, it is. There's a number of things. Um, pests have got to be number one. Uh, weed pests, uh, um, herbicide-resistant weeds, mare's tail, water hemp, those are just a, a very significant issue. And the good news is we have the information, the resources to manage those weeds. And, uh, and I think the university and the checkoff have done a good job of getting that information out. So um, I think that's, that's uh, an issue, but also we have solutions. I, I think probably climate change is, and I don't know whether we call it climate change or whether we call it wild weather, whatever we call it, but I, I just think that there's some real um, soil compaction, soil health has suffered over the last several years. The wet falls, the wet springs. I was at a uh, grower panel where the growers talked about um, why this spring was so bad. Yes, the immediate weather was so bad, but it was a long-term problem that was building because our soils were um, had been beat up over time and it was a cumulative effect. And so I think that's one that we really need to pay attention to. And again, I think the information is out there through the university, through the checkoff. Uh, about doing that. I think we just need to be really deliberate in, in accessing and pursuing that information. These fringe years have almost become more normal, and so we like have to start to farm with more resiliency in our system for those years. I really believe that. I believe the um, 
if we can manage this this weather, the weather uh, risk that's out there, the farms that successfully manage that weather risk are going to be successful. Well, I really try to control the weather, but unfortunately, I have not figured that one out. I, I tell that to my farmers all the time. <laughs> I, I will ask for no rain today, and it will come true. <laughs> We're um, all doing what we can, right? Right, right. Very little. Yeah, I guess I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> the good news, though, Monica, is they can't blame it on you either. Yeah, there you go. Um, is there any other key issues you think that the growers are facing otherwise that you guys can kind of see that aren't maybe agronomic. I have sometimes brought up to me that more so now than ever, there's like seems to be social pressure or social ramifications or um, just perception from our uh, non-ag portion of our community that that's kind of a new thing that are facing farmers now. Is there anything else you can think of? If it's a no, that's okay. You don't have to lie or come up with some crap. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you have a really good point of the perception of the public for farmers and how they stand among the the public and what their opinion is. In general, we've had a very strong uh, relationship with our, our non-farming public, but that seems to be eroding over time. As you've talked about, uh, some of the public seems to have uh, concerns about farmers having some impact on the environment and maybe not caring as much as they should. I think the challenge is if they learn more about what farmers do to protect and to be sustainable and to manage their own land that they continue to keep in the family and farm in the future, I think they'd have a lot of uh, uh, support for farmers. They'd have, be really confident in what farmers are doing out there to, to keep the environment in their own area uh, sustainable and, and healthy. Yeah, you two have a kind of a great relationship too because we got agribusiness and education working together here, y'all. So I think that's a great way to bring transparency and to hopefully help um, our community trust the farmers and trust us as educators and the university and commodity groups and everything. So, Monica, I do see this once a year at Thanksgiving. Um, my sister will bring up some points about uh, oh yes GMOs. And uh, so I do see it once a year, and we have an interesting discussion. And I don't know if I've been able to move the needle, but the good news is she has not moved the needle. So okay. we're... <laughs> Makes some very interesting conversations around the table. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I want to talk about another weedy situation, and that, of course, is our markets. And the soybean commodity would be a part of those markets right now. And so i got to ask... You know, how's it going? <laughs> Growth, change, improvement. What, what's your, what's, feel it out for me a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting crop. And the, the system that we have is that uh, we've increased soybean production in, the, in this country a lot over the last 20 years or so. And it's really relied on export markets. So we've kind of built this system based on other people in the world needing and wanting soybeans. So it's been a great system because we've really built up a lot of production. And over that time, there's been a lot of expansion, especially in Asia, that wanted the, this protein source of soybeans. And it's worked out terrifically because of them feeding their livestock. And it's just been kind of gone in step in step. So without that Asian increase in demand, we would have choked on soybeans long before now. But they've increased the demand and it's worked out great. So now we throw in a hiccup. We're trying to, or in the past, we've exported about a billion bushels of soybeans to China every year. We produce about 4 billion. So 25 to 30% of our crop is going to one country. 
that's a terrific success story to say that uh, the the soybean checkoff in the country and among states has really built that market and uh, made them, I wouldn't say dependent, but at least created the demand and, and they were happy with what they were getting. Now we throw in some other issues, tariff issues, government issues, whatever you want to call them. And because of that buildup of one country, now we're we're seeing the effects of that negatively. But does that demand still exist? Are they feeding a lot of animals? They still are. So some issues with some diseases among hogs in, in China, and we need to work that out in the short term. But in the long term, if we can continue those Asian people increasing their quality of life and, and making choices to eat more meat, we've got a really strong demand for lots of protein. So like the weather, let's just hope markets work out too, right? <laughs> I think well, we have a little bit more control. Well, we don't have a lot of control, but um, I hope that that stuff also, you know, get good weather, get some better markets for, for our next coming years. Yeah, that's right. We sure hope so. Uh, there's a lots of work going on. Uh, there's a group called the United States Soybean Export Council that does a lot of work to find markets for soybeans. And we export about 60% of our crop in this country. So we know that's a very important part of what we need to do as a checkoff organization to find homes for these soybeans. After just hearing about the market, I was just um, curious, what is the number one thing they're using it for then overseas? The number one use for soybeans overseas is livestock feed. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. I think you did mention that, so I should listen better. No, that's Um. fine. In China, (laughs) they really specifically work with hogs and poultry are their major sources of meat in in China. And it really makes sense because those are really efficient users of Mm -hmm. feed and they uh, make lots of meat out of a little bit of feed. So it really makes a lot of sense why they've chosen that. I've heard too, it's a very affordable protein source as well. So maybe if you couldn't afford meat. Uh, soybeans, you know, it's a very probably small share of the market, but I think it has the potential to maybe grow in the future as the world population grows. One thing that's unique about it versus a dry edible bean is it is a complete protein. It has all the amino acids um, where the dry edible beans have one amino acid hmm. are missing. And so it does position us very uniquely to, to provide a, a plant-based uh, high-quality protein. Very interesting. Now i got to ask, what's your favorite use for soybeans? Wow. So you're just asking for one. Oh, uh, well, I guess if you had a couple cool ones. One time when I was at a commodity group meeting, I got soybean chapstick, and I was very impressed with that. <laughs> That's cool. The great thing about soybeans is there's so many so many uses. And one of the really cool opportunities is that it can be a replacement for petroleum. So soybean oil can replace petroleum in lots of different industrial and cosmetics and uh, food products. So lots of opportunities there. Uh, one of the really cool things in Michigan is that we've got a strong and robust uh, soy food market. So things like tofu and miso and soy milk and mm-hmm. these kind of products... We have a really strong market here, so there's a lot of growers. We estimate maybe 200,000 acres are being grown of soybeans in Michigan for these uses, for food use. A lot of those are exported, but some of them are are used here in the U.S. to make these products. And these beans are a little bit different in that most of those are non-GMO beans. They're larger sized beans, higher in protein, mostly uh, clear hilum. Those are some important things to that uh, industry. But if you, if you look for one big use of soybeans, the market for soy diesel is huge, and it has a really big impact on the value of soybeans. The National Biodiesel Board estimates 
that there's about 63 cents of the value of a bushel of soybeans is because of the biodiesel industry. Hmm. So it's really cool that we have uh, this opportunity to use up a lot of soybean oil because as we're producing soybean meal to feed livestock, we have this offsetting product that's soybean oil that comes from the soybeans. And if we don't find a, a good use for lots of this, huge amounts of this commodity, we'd have too much of that and it wouldn't be a balance. So this, the biodiesel industry has used up that surplus in, in soybean oil over the last 10 years or so, and it's really worked out well. Oh, that's very cool. Now, Mike, what's your favorite? Mine's got to be about an inch and a half thick pork chop on the grill. You know, just about uh. <laughs> 12 minutes uh, is just perfect. And uh, so that's my number one. After that, I would have to say, probably, and Mark touched on it, would be the soy food. Um, I really, uh, soy nuts, I really enjoyed those. They're a, they're a really good, easy snack. Um, I haven't moved past the green vegetable soybeans or the edamame and uh, into tofu and some of those. Uh, miso, I have not explored those. But I really do like the green vegetable soybeans. I really like that, and I really like the soy nuts. I think they've got a real niche for um, our everyday consumer and a good place in our diet. I, I like fried tofu. Okay. I guess the, the, the thought that anything fried is probably pretty good, well, that works for tofu, too. <laughs> <laughs> fried tofu is really good. <laughs> so uh, we've talked about some things you really like about soybeans. I just want to touch on the future of our cropping systems in Michigan and maybe even, too, just on a broader scale. Um, I, I've been asking this pretty common with everyone that comes on because they seem to have like this expertise area. And so what does that future of that look like? Like what's coming down the, um, the pipe? And we've talked a little bit about this climate variability and that's how that's, and I think you touched on soil health. Do you feel like that's pretty important then for the future? I do feel that's important. And uh, soybeans are very risk adverse or something. They, they seem to manage uh, weather risk better than corn. We have a longer uh, reproductive window, uh, as long as four weeks, so we can, we can shed pollen and, and produce. Uh, so that's a nice benefit. Traditionally, they were more drought tolerant than corn, but there's been some advances, of course, in corn. So I think the, bright, the future is really bright there. I think, to me, probably the, um, one of the things that really makes the future bright for soybeans, especially Michigan, is we have a unique climate where we can grow some really high-quality soybeans. The Asian market that Mark referred to uh, really values soybeans from Michigan. We have higher protein than much of the country. Mm. And that's just widely acknowledged, uh, probably due to the efforts of the checkoff and promoting them, um, but, but very high quality. Some of the things we already talked about, but I think you're probably gonna see the human consumption, direct consumption of the protein probably increase in the, in the long-term future, the next probably 20 to 30 years. We talk so much about foreign markets. Do you think there's a way to improve market access in the United States? Could that be a part of the future of soybeans? Yeah, sure could be. I think one of the interesting things are, is the interest in uh, meat substitutes. So not that soybean growers are really excited about that. I think most <laughs> soybean growers would really like to have a steak or a nice uh, a pork chop. But if there are consumers that are really looking for other uh, alternatives to meat, uh, soybeans, as Mike said before, are a great source of, of food product, a protein source. So. I think those opportunities are out there for people to capitalize on. All right. Well, we are on our last question. So if you've been nervous about this, you can kind of take a breath now. <laughs> um, 
what what would you say is a, a really great resource for farmers as they're looking at this um we're, we're at the end of the season right now so i would like to think we're getting towards the end i should say <laughs> i'd like to think you know in just a, a short couple months here we're going to start nutrient management planning and deciding on our system and everything great resources for them to help them with the planning of their soybean crop for this next year well, I'm biased, of course. Uh, <laughs> I think the university, Michigan State University, has got some excellent resources. And uh, your listeners could uh, just Google uh, MSU Extension. And, and in there, they'd want to go to field crops after that, and then soybeans. And you'd find just a multitude of articles from Christy Sprague, Marty Chilvers, myself, Kurt Steinke, just tremendous resources there available at that site. And that would be all those people he listed. That's the cro- our cropping team. So that would be covering the system because you had uh, weeds in there and nutrient management and everything. So is there any other resources you'd recommend for farmers looking to find more about soybeans and production? Yeah, I think so. I, I think Mike and, and you, Monica, really said that the university is a strong partner in this. And, of course, the Soybean Checkoff in Michigan believes that. And they have supported that by uh, financially by working with Mike and working with the other researchers through some uh, annual grants for their important work. Oh, maybe this is the time I should have my disclosure that I have received funds for research from the Michigan Soybean Promotion Committee. So, you have. Good, we appreciate your efforts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's another terrific example of how we have some funds from growers' investments in the checkoff. And now our role is to find out how we can best invest those for growers' benefit. And I think, Monica, you mentioned a good example of how can we work with local educators to address issues that are happening in that part of the state and then spread that information, spread those results among other people in the state. So I think uh, the Soybean Checkoff and the Soybean Association puts together a Michigan Soybean News magazine quarterly that gets mailed to uh, all the growers in the state. And also, uh, there's something called a Soybean Weekly that goes out, uh, as you might guess, weekly, but electronically. (laughs) So if you have interest in that, uh, we're glad to add you to that email list and get information out that's really timely, especially through the growing season and then off-season to talk about educational opportunities to be ready for the oncoming or the next coming season. Well, thank you so much, Mike and Mark, for joining me today to record this podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope to have you guys back soon. Thanks Thanks. for the opportunity. Thank you, Monica. This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.